0: As you're being seated, go ahead and grab a Bible and find Acts chapter 1. We're starting a new series this morning, Acts chapter 1. Uh, looks like Scott and Stephen are handing out Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you need one, you check up on me. I might be making stuff up. I'm just joking. I don't make stuff. Well, I try not to make stuff up. Ask my wife. And uh, a couple of quick announcements as you're finding Acts chapter 1. If you have a white or a blue Bible that we gave you, it's page 530. If you have your own Bible, you get to find your own page. That's how it works. Uh, a couple of quick things. Um, we have a class that we run once a month called Growth Track. And it's like, hey, I'm new to this church. Or, hey, maybe I've been to this church a while, but I still am, like, trying to figure out, like, If I'm in, in, or if I'm down with what you guys are doing, or stuff like that. So anyway, we run that class at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights, the first Sunday of the month. So the first Sunday of the month is going to be next Sunday. We buy you dinner. We hang out for a couple hours, uh, show a quick video. If you've ever gone to a church and been like, what do they really believe? Or like, how are they going to spend my money if I give it? Or like, am I going to go there for three months, and then they're going to bring out the snakes and the dead goats? Or, you know, whatever... There's just people you never know. So we lay it all out right in front. Here's our growth track. Uh, it's called growth track. Here's our values. Here's what we believe. Here's what we're going to call you to do. Ten years down the road, we're still going to be doing these five things. It's not going to be like some weird left turn and give you an extra book. and be like, no, he's from a prophet on golden plates or something like that. So um, you should do it. I don't, I don't know why people don't. like. When I was a youth pastor, sometimes parents would just send their kids to my house And I was like, I would think that the parent would want to know me before they let their kid come to my house. Like, I could be a wacko. And so I kind of think the same thing as the church, right? You should know what's going on with your church. So growth track, next week, 5 o'clock, Sunday. Here's the thing about it. If you want food when you go, which you should because we're we're providing food and it's not like spaghetti that Stephen mixed in the back room. It's like real food. Then you have to sign up. Right? And I know everybody's got a fear of signing up for things in 2021. They're like, no, commitment's the worst. It's not the worst. Just decide right now. Look at who's over next to you and be like, hey, we're going to go to this thing. And so Steven, who's right down here in front, he runs it. Um, if you fill out a Connect card, which is in the back middle, drop it in the box, say growth track. We'll get you the menu, and you can order your food. Or you can talk to Steven, and he'll point you in the right direction. Two other things that are happening this week. Men's breakfast. Men's breakfast is next Saturday uh, morning. Yeah. Dudes, bacon, Jesus, in, right? So you can sign up for that online. And then also, we have a student small group that Austin and Bella are leading. Austin's running sound back there right now. So if you're interested, you have a student. Uh, we're talking to older students, not like second graders, but you know what I mean. Uh, if you have a student, uh, you want to be involved in a small group, talk to Austin and Bella. They're going to have it. I think it's the ninth is the first one. They can give you the rest of the details. It's at night. So Yeah. And that'll be on the website coming up soon too under our R Groups tab. Uh, We'll get that updated this week. Here we go. Acts chapter one, let's do it. We're starting a new series. Um, It's called The Way. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited about it. Uh, I was actually preparing this week and I was reading an article uh, on documentaries. And documentary... The article called this the golden age for documentaries, which I guess is true because when I was a kid, documentaries were the most boring things ever. Like, there were things you had to watch in school, or the IMAX. Does anybody remember the IMAX that they used to have at Riverfront Park? But they didn't have real movies, they had like documentaries. And you're kind of like, this is super cool because it's a billion feet tall, but I'm watching about like bacteria. So, anyway, like, documentaries weren't that cool, but now they're starting to become cool. In fact, like, this is pretty common to have a conversation with somebody and be like, I was watching this documentary on Netflix, right? That's, that's some of the things that we talk about, right? And you're like, yeah, no, it's a real thing. Like in England, they chased this cheese down the hill, which is actually a conversation we were having this week at our small group. It was like, no, no. And they like broke their collarbone and the girl who won like incredible. Like, and so you have these conversations about documentaries and they're like part of life now. Right, But the things that separates documentaries from just regular movies is that there is like a special type of connection, right? There is a special type of connection with the documentary that you don't have with just like an Avengers movie. Like you sit and watch an Avengers movie, like cool, Thanos, right? Which I don't know all the characters. My son will update you if you need to know. But like there's like a a big long list of all these things and like none of it's real, But then you watch like Super Size Me, where the guy only meets McDonald's for a month, and you're like, oh man, maybe I should eat better. Or you watch like that, where that guy climbs El Capitan without a rope, free solo, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything with my life. Like, the scariest thing I do is Parallel Park, right? So you like, you connect with documentaries in a way that doesn't happen in just fantasy movies. Like, you start to reflect on your own life in a way that's different. And that's intentional, right? The person who wrote the documentary did it because they saw that story and they're like, this is a story that is worth being told in a way that will change your life. That's why documentary makers make documentaries. It's because they're like, this is a story that needs to be told. This is a story that needs to be heard. This is a story that if understood and told in the right way can really impact your life. And if you didn't know, the Bible's actually way ahead of you. There's a documentary of how the followers of Jesus became the most influential group of people in the history of the world. And it's called the book of Acts. It's the fifth book in your New Testament. And it's the story of what happened after Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. How did we get from that one guy and his 12 disciples to this thing that followers of Jesus have been so influential in the history of our world? Well, this is that story. So we're going to jump in to the book of Acts. And I think that this documentary comparison is apt, because there's a different level of connection and empathy. And you're going to see that as you go through this book. So I hope you understand that as we read through the book of Acts. I hope you understand this really happened. This is historical. We're going to go through a whole bunch of different things that lots of people think they know about the followers of Jesus and Christianity and the early church. And then you'll read through it and be like, oh, wait, that's all they said? They didn't say follow all 10 rules? They didn't say bow your knees and up, down, left, right, and pray like this. Like they didn't do that. You're gonna you're gonna be surprised at some of the things you thought you knew, but aren't actually in the story or the documentary of the early church. So let's do it. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Says this. Look in your Bible. Like I said, page 530, if you got one of our wider blue Bibles. Says this in the first book, O Theophilus. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now immediately, you should be thinking, at least I would be thinking, if I had, this is new to me, in the first book, like what is he talking about the first book? Like, is there another Bible that we need to talk about? No, 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 there's not another Bible. Uh, This is written by Dr. Luke, and Luke wrote actually a two-volume work, okay? And they're represented as different books in your Bible. So the first one that he wrote has his name on it. It's called Luke. The second work, or the second volume of the same book, kind of, uh, is called Acts, okay? Just so you know, uh, originally there were one book put together. When the Bible writers, the people started uh, looking at the works of uh, early apostles and what was influencing the people of God and what uh, writings seemed to have the Spirit of God upon them and was changing people's lives and what were consistent with the teachings of Jesus, uh, they ended up putting Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all right next to each other because they were about Jesus, and then they put Acts next. But that ended up kind of separating Luke and Acts. Not a huge deal. But just so you know, that's what he's talking about here. And actually, uh, let's go to the beginning of the book of Luke. I'll put it on the screen so you don't actually have to turn there. But I just want to get you to understand kind of the opening of the book that Luke was writing, first part Luke, second part Acts, and kind of what he was trying to accomplish. So look at what it says, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says, inasmuch as, which I had no idea was one word, inasmuch So we see a couple things right off the bat here as Luke is opening up this book. First, Luke is writing this account for a guy he calls Theophilus. See that? That's his name. It's a Greek name. We don't know who this guy is or really anything about this guy. But we do know that Luke wrote this with an audience in mind. Now that might not be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal for people who are critical of these types of things. This was not Luke's like daydreams. Right? This wasn't like his sketch pad and he's like doodling like, oh, I'm going to make up. This was written intentionally for this person, Theophilus, to read. He wrote it knowing that somebody would not only read it, but make a judgment based on what Luke wrote, whether this was accurate or inaccurate. So that says something about Luke, right? It says something about what he wrote This book of Luke and the book of Acts. It says that Luke is doing this investigative work. Another interesting thing that we learn about this Theophilus guy, it says most excellent Theophilus. Luke only uses that term two other times. And both times, it's for very high-ranking Roman officials. So it's very possible that this guy was a high-ranking Roman official, and Luke is doing investigative work for him, trying to figure out what's going on here, what's true, what's not true. It's like anything else in the world, right? You find out, oh, I hear about this thing. Will you go find out what's going on here? Will you figure this out? Will you go? And so Luke does. He goes and he interviews all these people and he hangs out with. And he's going to be part of the story in the book of Acts. And he is trying to figure out what the truth is, what actually happened. He's like writing the documentary. That says something not only about this writing that we're reading, but it also says something about the character of Luke, right? If you're a high-ranking Roman official and you're sending out like an investigative reporter, you don't pick the village idiot, Like, hey, that guy drools on himself. Like, go figure out what's going on. No, you pick somebody you trust, somebody with knowledge of the situation, somebody who's reliable and accurate. So wrap your mind around the scenario here, right? This high-ranking Roman official has heard these things about the followers of Jesus like anything. He's not sure what to believe, not sure what's accurate. So we have this respected and educated doctor, Luke, interviewing others, writing down his own experiences, compiling all his findings in this two-volume work, which we have in our Bibles, the books of Luke and Acts. And it's Luke's documentary of this situation, of the followers of Jesus, which, if you didn't know, was originally called The Way. Now, last thing before I move on. This name, Theophilus, The name literally means friend of God. Theos is the Greek word for God, right? Phyllis, the ending, it changes a little bit depending on the person you're addressing. But you might recognize the root from like Philadelphia. What's Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love, right? So Theophilus is literally the friend of God. So it's kind of this beautiful like word picture here of like, hey, if you consider yourself a friend of God or if you desire to be a friend of God, here's the things you need to know about his story. Here's the things you need to know about what God actually did through his people. Here's how we got here. And here's the story. So look at Acts. Back to Acts. Let's do it. Verse one. It says, In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we start here, and what immediately sticks out to me is that Luke calls the gospel accounts the entire life of Jesus, all of his teachings, all of his miracles, all the things that we think about when we talk about Jesus, born in a manger, right, walking on water, right, transcended, like all these things that we're like, this is the life of Jesus. Luke calls it the beginning of what Jesus did and taught. Do you see that? Look at verse one. What Jesus began to do and to teach. He began, like all of what we know about Jesus, the four gospels, this incredible story that we've celebrated for 2,000 years. That was just the beginning in Luke's eyes. The entire life that Jesus lived, his death on the cross, his resurrection, all the things we know about the historical Jesus, those were not the culmination of what he did. They were the beginning of what he did. For the people who were alive when Jesus was alive, for the people who actually knew Jesus, the people who talked with him, who saw him in the flesh, this was just the beginning. Think about that. The people who actually knew Jesus believed that he was not done doing and teaching things. That's incredible. He has more to do. He has more to teach. He is not finished. He was not finished when Luke wrote this book. He is not finished today. Like he continued on working through his Holy Spirit in the world. He continued on teaching through his Holy Spirit in the world. And let me say this as clearly as I can so you don't misunderstand me. For a person to understand the Christian life, it is essential to believe that Jesus is one still alive and two not finished you see that it's essential it's not extra credit it's the quality it's the prerequisite it's how you get in right we believe that he's still alive and that he's not done working and if you're just checking this whole church thing out and you're not really sure about this whole thing and you're like oh okay jared You want me to stake my whole life on this idea that this guy who was alive 2,000 years ago is like not dead? He's still alive? That kind of sounds crazy. Yep. The followers of Jesus for 2,000 years have been unapologetically a little bit crazy. Like that's just how we roll. If you're uncomfortable with being like, hey, they're crazy, then this is not the thing for you, right? This is a supernatural work the followers of Jesus have been engaged in. Like, Jesus, this is why our lives are changed. This is why we got up early on a Sunday morning. This is why we give our lives to the church. This is why some of us give money to this thing. This is why we believe all of our lives are tied up in it. Because this guy has conquered death. He was not dead forever. He is now alive again, and he is not done working. We don't apologize for that. It's what makes us followers of Jesus. And there's this temptation, especially in 2021, to kind of soften the blow a little bit of what it means to be a Christian, right? Well, Jesus is, it's, it's kind of about being a good person and whatever works for you and whatever, you know, like he was a great example and there's some really great things to learn and everybody's got great ideas and just pull from like, No! The people who knew Jesus would have none of that nonsense. They were like, he's not dead, he's alive, and he's still doing stuff. Like, people go, like, that's crazy. Yep, it kind of is. It kind of is, and that's what makes them followers of Jesus. The biblical account and the people who actually knew Jesus would have none of that TED Talk with a Bible verse stuff. This was not here to just help you a little bit. It was not here to just make you comfortable. They didn't show up to the gatherings of followers of Jesus because it was like a cool, comfortable place to be. No, they showed up because they thought this guy who uh, they watched die was no longer dead. It was a really big deal. And we have 28 chapters in front of us. Of a story that is only possible through the supernatural, resurrected, still alive work of a truth teaching, death conquering, miracle working Savior sent from the almighty created God. That's what's in front of us. 28 more chapters of this. We're not not just trying to help you do better and try harder. We're saying Jesus is not dead. He's still alive. And he is not done. He's still working. And I hope that you see the value of this story in your life. Because the reason Luke wrote this book and the reason that this is a story worth telling is because these people believe the life of Jesus, his death on the cross, was simply the beginning. And the story is not better because they believe this. The story exists because they believe this. Like I said at the beginning, it's not like like extra credit. It's not like level 10. Like, oh, yeah. Like, no, no, it's, it's the first level. Like, this is what makes you a follower of Jesus, believing this. My son is in Taekwondo, which is pretty awesome, because he can, like, break boards with his feet and hands and stuff. And, like, he has nunchucks, which every dude wants nunchucks. Like, just happens. And uh, he's been doing this for a couple years now. And just a couple months ago, maybe six months ago, he passed his halfway to black belt. Right? And one of the things I did not know about Taekwondo is like, there's a lot of studying involved. Like, you have to know the history about it. And so like, you know, as a dad, you sit in the, the gym, and you're watching them. And it smells like feet. And it's really humid. And everyone, all these kids sweat. And you're like Googling stuff and like, learning about it because you're studying with your kid. And way back in the day, like 200 years ago, when they came up with the belt ranking system, Like I, like every other white person on the planet, thought that black belt meant you could kill anybody with your bare hands, right? That's just what we thought happened, right? But apparently not. As I'm reading about this, black belt back in the day when they first came up with the belt ranking system, just they called it the first step. So you go through all these colored belts. There's like a billion of them, like yellow, white, orange, red, like all these colors, right? And then you finally get to black and you're like, yeah. And they're like, congratulations, you've taken the first step. You know all the, the basics now. Now you can begin. And it was like, what the heck? What am I paying all this money for if this is just the first step, right? That's a dad talking. But like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, we think of black belts as like the culmination. Like, no, no, you, you get it now. Now you can begin. And Christianity is kind of the same way. There's a whole bunch of people who sit in chairs or pews and go to church or pray or even give of their money or even are in ministry and they think that they're the advanced version, and yet nothing in their life reflects the idea that they think Jesus is alive and working today. You could go to church a million times and still not believe that Jesus is alive and working, I'm just telling you, you haven't taken the first step. You could read your Bible a bunch, You can pray to God. You could give of your money. You could, like I said, be in ministry. You go to religious training. You could be a pastor somewhere. And if you do not believe that Jesus is alive and working, you have not taken the first step. And if you're here and you're not sure if you believe that, I'm not mad at you. You're welcome to be here. I just want to be super clear what this is and what this isn't. Right? Maybe you come because you like it here and you have friends. Maybe you find this interesting. Maybe you even find it helpful. Maybe even a little inspiring. Let's make it real clear. None of that makes you a follower of Jesus. Believing he is alive and still at work in your world makes you a follower of Jesus. And I personally think that clarity is helpful because people can sit week after week after week and never live that out. And, and they wonder why their story doesn't look like this story. They wonder why their life doesn't look anything like this life. Like, wow, I don't know. What's what's going on here? I'll, I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus is, the things you read are only what Jesus began. He's still alive and he's not done. Now... At this point, if you're on the fence about this, you're like, "Okay, Jared, you admitted you're crazy, and you admitted if I'm not crazy like you, then somehow I'm doing it wrong." Yep. So you want me to just believe with all my heart that this all happened and like just you just have to, you know, just trust that it happened because these old dead guys said that it happened. No, 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 no. That's actually not what the Bible says at all. Look at look at verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. You see that? Many proofs. Lots of proofs. Lots of proving to them that he was alive. Lots of evidence. Luke doesn't say they believed because it felt good and they got the warm fuzzies when they thought about it. Right? Luke doesn't say anything like, I had a dream and I was walking in the sand and there was only one set of footprints and Jesus was like, that's when I carried you and then I just knew. That's not what you, he says there was many proofs. Many proofs. Lots of things proving that he was alive to people who watched him die. Like these were people who were sitting there at the base of the cross like, that guy we thought was from God? just got hung on a cross and died. It's going to take a lot to prove to those guys that he was alive again. And Luke says he hung out with them in person for 40 days. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And there's this misconception that people who follow Jesus just have to believe. You just have to trust. There's no evidence for it. You just got to have faith and just believe in it. And when you get the warm fuzzies, then you know you're on the right track. Not biblical. Not biblical, okay? The Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Conviction is a legal word, right? You convict somebody because there's evidence to convict, right? So faith is based on evidence. We look around and we go, oh, yeah, there's some evidence there. Starting with the Bible, the historical account, the documentary of what happened with the followers of Jesus after he died on the cross and rose from the dead. They're like, hey, we were there, we watched it, we wrote it down so you all could know. And then lots and lots of people copied it and they made sure the copies were good and if the copies weren't good, they lit them on fire. And so we have 24,000 New Testament manuscripts attesting to this truth that Jesus was still alive and working. We think that faith is unsubstantiated emotion, right? It's just a feeling. It's not a feeling. It wasn't a feeling for the disciples. It wasn't a feeling for Luke. It wasn't a feeling for Theophilus, who has taken the evidence that Luke compiled. And it's not a feeling for us. Now. I'm not going to do a whole sermon on the evidence for all of this. But if you're like, hey, what's all this evidence we're talking about? Uh, We actually give away a book uh, at this church called More Than a Carpenter. Uh, I think there's a couple copies back there on the the black, uh, what do we call that? the box, yeah. There's a couple copies back there. If you want one, Stephen knows where the rest of the copies are. Uh, it's a very short book with very small pages. So it's 200 pages, but they're very short. And it's written by a guy who was like, I think followers of Jesus are crazy. And then he start investigating. He's like, oh, they're not as crazy as we make them out to be. And he actually ended up writing a proof for the life of Jesus. It's called More Than a Carpenter. Like I said, you can get it if you want before you leave today. In addition to the external evidence, the biblical evidence, there's probably some evidence in your own life. That's probably part of the reason why you're here this morning. Because you went through something, or you did something, and then you just like, I don't know how I know, but I've, I know that I know that there's a God, and he's trying to get my attention. And so there's a lot of evidence if you want to look for it. There was a lot of evidence for these followers of Jesus. There's probably a lot of evidence in your own life. I don't, like I said, I don't have time to do a whole sermon on that, but I'm finishing there. I could keep going. I'm not going to. I feel like maybe there's just somebody in here who needs to know that message this morning. You're looking at the time. You're going, you're super early. I know. There's people in here. I could go on and we could talk about other stuff and you'd latch on to that other thing. And maybe God doesn't want you to latch on to that other thing. Maybe God wants you this morning to go like, Do I really believe he's alive? Do I really believe he's still working? Does anything in my life reflect that? Do I call myself a follower of Jesus because I check boxes, because I do these things, or because I really believe he's alive? I'm going to transition a little bit. One of the greatest proofs that you still believe Jesus is alive and working Is prayer because why would you pray if you didn't believe he could hear you right dear God why would you say that if you don't think anyone's listening you wouldn't right but if you think someone's listening then you pray the Bible tells us prayer is communication with God and in fact if you read in your Bible Jesus walks into the temple uh, early in his ministry and the temple had been the place where uh, God was represented on planet Earth. It was the place where God put his name. It was the place where he was supposed to be worshipped. And Jesus walks in and they had turned it into like a, like a mini market of like dishonest thieves and, and people who were just ripping people off. And it was just this a whole bunch of nonsense. And Jesus freaks out. And he starts, like, throwing tables and letting animals out of cages. They had a bunch of animals there, not because it was, like, a petting zoo, but because they were sacrificing animals, right? And so Jesus is, like, freaking out, right? And in in some accounts, it actually says he made a whip, which is awesome. Like, if you think of him sitting down, like, what are you doing? I'm making a whip, right? He's, like, he's freaking out. He's so upset. And after he's, like, driving all these people, he's like, get out of here, you dirty, rotten, money-thieving. He doesn't say bad words but whatever not bad words in Jewish you could say he was saying and he's driving them all out and then he yells in the middle of all of this he says my house shall be called a house of prayer which is weird to me because of all the things for Jesus to fix in that moment prayer or the lack of it seems like really low on the list of priorities. Wouldn't it? What's like to you? That always stuck out to me. Because I'm like, Jesus, you could be like, you're greedy, and you have the idols, and you like there's a whole bunch of stuff you could fix. And Jesus said, You're supposed to be praying here. You're supposed to be connecting with God here. My people are supposed to be connecting with a God who is, like we read today, still alive and still at work. In fact, if you go back to that passage that Jesus is quoting, uh, it's in the book of Second Chronicles in your Bible, chapter 7. It starts out with this incredible thing, and God says to his people, he says, if my people pray. And then he continues on, right? And he starts to give these things that he's going to fulfill if his people pray. And there's a lot of incredible things Right? He says that he will hear. He says that he will heal their land. He says he will make his name dwell there. It says his ears will be attentive and his eyes will be open. Like that's an incredible idea that God is has his eyes open to what's going on in your life. Because I know sometimes you're just like, do you not see what's going on here? Like, there, there's an incredible amount that God says just in that passage that he will do if his people pray. But then if you go through your Bible, there's like 375 times in your Bible that prayer is mentioned. If you, like, if you look at how many pages are in this thing, there's like 600 and some odd. So that's like every page and a half, it's talking about prayer, 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 prayer. Prayer, communication with God, communication with God, communication with God, communication with God. So our leadership team actually got together uh, as we're starting a, a new year for us. If you didn't know, last year was our or last week was our four-year birthday, right? So this is the first week of our new year. And we decided that our leadership team decided we were gonna focus on prayer for these first three months. And we were gonna ask this question what could happen if my people pray? what could happen? What could God do? If you still believe he's alive and you still believe he's working, how could your relationships change? How could your marriage change? How could your interactions with your kids change? What if God wants to save your neighbors? What if God wants to use you in the city? What if God wants to encourage your heart and change your self-image? What if God wants to reveal to you a new identity? What if he wants to open up your eyes to gifting that you didn't realize you had? What if there's people around you who he wants to use you to work in their lives? What if he wants to set your life on a completely new trajectory? And he's just waiting for people to pray. He's just up there waiting in heaven. I, I want, there's stuff I want to do. I'm just waiting for somebody to pray about it. Because here's the truth. We don't say, we don't put this on the screen and say, if my people pray because there's stuff we want to do and we just want God to get in line. I was like, I really want a million dollars, so I'm going to start praying for a million dollars. No, no, no. This is our focus as a church for the next three months, not because we believe there's stuff we want to do, but because we believe there's stuff God wants to do. We believe he wants his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to focus on prayer for the next 3 months. And there's going to you're going to notice some different things. One is we're going to give a little more time to prayer in our Sunday services. Uh, the second thing is uh, our leadership team is developing some resources, right? So I delegated out. Some of them were real excited about it. Some of them were not as excited about it. But uh, your leadership team at this church is studying different aspects of prayer, biblical prayers, methods of praying, things to pray about, prayer and fasting. And they're going to be pre- presenting those findings to you. We're going to make those available to you on the website. So maybe you have no idea what prayer and fasting is about. You're going to be able to go on the website, you're going to be able to read a quick summary of one page, and then you're going to be able to practice it. What what could God do with a hundred some odd people in three months if we just said, hey, we're going to be a praying people? We're going to be a praying church. We're going to try this out for three months and see if God can do what he says he's going to do. If God can come through like he said he was going to come through. If God is as good as he says he is. So that's going to be our focus. We're going to pray for the next three months. We're going to focus on prayer. We're going to ask that question. What would happen if my people pray? So you're going to notice that uh, as we go for the next three months. Jake, I'll have you come on up. We're going to start right now. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to leave a period of silence, depending on how fast Jake walks. He might play his guitar in the background. Just joking. Pressure on the worship leader. It's my fault. I didn't tell you what was going on. I'm He's ad-libbing. On it's my bad. It's just going to be a period of 30, 30 seconds. And, and prayer is just communication with God. Sometimes it's asking God for something. Sometimes it's going, God, I didn't really expect this this morning, so what do you want to teach me? Sometimes it's listening. Sometimes it's just acknowledging what God has taught you. Sometimes it's, it's just reflecting on your life. And maybe you're like, man, I've been prideful. Maybe it's confession. I don't know what it is for you. The Holy Spirit gets to do his job in this moment. But I'm going to start some prayer. I'm going to leave a little bit of time for you to pray. Uh, we're not all praying out loud right now. Uh, there might be a time for that later. This is just kind of you connecting with God at your own speed. Uh, and then I'll finish it up and we'll sing this last song. So Father, we do just come before you this morning expecting that you desire to do great things. And so we commit ourselves to prayer as a church, as a people, as followers who believe that you're alive and still at work. Use this time, Lord. What do you desire to do through us? What do you desire to do in us? Lord, meet with your people right now.